quiet. Let's pray. Father, we um, just do thank you for the opportunities that have been given. Thank you for Steve's opportunity with Eric. Um, Lord, we pray for Eric. Lord, I thank you just even for a softness. Um, uh, and I pray that it would um, it would grow. And Lord, that he he would repent and he'd trust himself to you and he'd find peace um, and know your love um, through the gospel, through the cross, through the resurrection. And I pray that uh, you would help him get plugged into a good church um, there and uh, near where he is. Thank you that there are a couple in that area. Lord, we thank you for that. Um, Lord, we pray for um, uh, Patricia's contact with, uh, well, really Lance's contact with Stevie and and just uh, his son and that whole situation. Just pray that for um, Patricia and Lance, they'd be praying. I pray there would be good opportunities and faithfulness there and that you would work through your word. Lord, we ask these things. We pray for help this morning as we return to thinking about how to read your word well. Um, pray that you would bless the time. Uh, pray for uh, focus and uh, just uh, good discussion in your name. Amen. All right, so we are returning. We've got, so here's the plan. Uh, we've been talking, well, just a review. We've been talking about um, how do we read the scriptures well. And so we've talked about you're looking for the human author's intent. Uh, that is the overarching purpose. That gives you interpretation. It doesn't give you application. But when you're thinking about, um, uh, you want that first, you have to interpret the scriptures. You have to understand what they mean in the original context before you can move to application. Uh, and so that's kind of our general process, observation, interpretation, application. Uh, we've talked some about that. And then we've just been working through different uh, genres, different uh, types of literature in the scriptures where we're um, seeing, you know, in different genres, uh, different things matter more than others. So in an epistle, uh, you're often, often watching for conjunctions. Um, that's just because Paul's building an argument, or maybe it's Peter, or whoever it is. Uh, it's different than a narrative. Narrative, you're watching plot, you're watching characters, um, and that sort of a thing. Uh, we've been talking about law. Uh, we did that right before we... Um, uh, took a break for the holidays, and uh, I just want to remind you a couple things about the law. When we talk about the law, uh, primarily what we're referring to as a genre is uh, the, mosaic, the Mosaic or the Israelite covenant and the, the, the stipulations, the rules. Some of that's just narrative, so if you think about Genesis through Deuteronomy, a lot of that's narrative, but then interspersed throughout is, um, is commands, instruction. Uh, we did say that the word for law in the Old Testament is instruction. Uh, so you kind of want to think about it in those broader terms. Uh, yes, there are commands, there are laws in that sense, but uh, it is instruction that you're thinking about. And we said that the, the idea of the Israelite covenant is that Israel, it was never designed for Israel to earn its relationship with God. It was to be a response of obedience because of the relationship that they had through the Abrahamic covenant and through the Exodus. Uh, so it was never ever designed to, okay, you keep these things and um, God's going to accept you. No, you already have a relationship, therefore you respond in obedience. Problem is, is that um, not every individual actually knew God in a saving way. So you think about the nation, it's kind of got a circle within a circle. The inner circle is uh, the remnant, uh, those who are righteous by faith, like Abraham. And then there's everyone else who's part of the Israelite nation, 
but doesn't know God in a saving way. And so their heart hasn't been circumcised, to use the language from Deuteronomy. Um, so, uh, but the design of it was that if you, as Israel obeyed this law, God would bless them with the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. So we call it an administrative covenant. As you obey, God gives you the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. If you disobey, you get expelled from the land. All sorts of the, the exact opposite of the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant happen. Okay? And so that is the idea. You need those contexts and that understanding so that um, when you're looking at the law as a Christian, you know, okay, here's the context, here's its function, um, so that when you interpret it, you can interpret it rightly and then be able to apply it rightly. And we said that really you can look from starting even pre-fall, law has been there. Even pre-fall, there is law. Uh, there is command. Uh, it is always a response to uh, the relationship that God has graciously established with his people. And every manifestation of God's law, so you can think about pre-fall law, the um, talks about Abraham obeying God's commands, um, Mosaic Covenant, and then the New Covenant, the law, the Torah, the instruction is written on the heart. So there's the law of Christ. Uh, there is what it means to be a New Covenant Christian. There are commands, or it, but it's always uh, commands um, based on love of God uh, and displaying that obedience uh, because of what God has already done in establishing a relationship. So as we think about interpreting the law and being able to apply the Old Testament law, the starting point is God's eternal moral character, which is the foundation of all law. God's character, his moral character never changes. Uh, it never changes at all. And so as you think about that, uh, that's the, going to be how you're going to be able to transition and apply the Old Testament law. The application can change. So uh, you can't eat bacon in Israel. You can't eat pig. Um, that application changes with the new covenant now. You can. But the underlying principle, which is rooted in God's character, does not change. And that's what you're looking for when you come to the law. Uh, sometimes application is going to look similar. Sometimes, gonna, oftentimes, it's going to look completely different. And yet, the underlying principle, the underlying um, uh, root of it all, uh, rooted in God's eternal moral character, is not going to change. So, to make, be clear, we are not under the Mosaic law as a covenant. We are not Israelites. Uh, we are not bound to the law in the sense of we are part of that covenant but we are bound to the law in the sense that we belong to the same God and he gives us um, the scriptures to give us instruction and we can get instruction even from the Old Testament law and how to live well for him now, as long as we make the right moves um, as we interpret the law, as we move from interpretation to application. Uh, and again, just to remind you, think about what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for correction, uh, training in righteousness. And what do they primarily have when Paul wrote that? They primarily have the Old Testament. And so even the law can be used to those ends. And so that's what we're talking about. So that's just a fly-by overview of the things that we have talked. What we haven't done yet is actually apply it and actually do some work with this. Before we do that, are there any questions? Yes, Genevieve. Yeah, the bacon. Correct. Yes. Right. 
Yeah. Yes, I do too. And uh, so, um, that, uh, so what you notice, um, and so the, the food laws come about first in Leviticus 11, which Leviticus is all about how does a sinful people dwell with the holy God. And one of the, that's one of the applications for then and for, uh, of what does it look like in your daily life, in your eating, how do you look distinct as a people? Um, and so what's amazing, specific to that example, is, you know, I think it's at the end of those, those laws where it says, um, you shall be holy for I am holy. So there's the principle right there. He actually tells us. What's amazing is First Peter, Peter actually quotes that. So he quotes that principle in the context of the food laws, but he's then applying it to the new covenant community. So what does that mean? It means that um, I can eat bacon, because there's other texts in the New Testament that explain there's a transition happening, uh, and even a transition with the food laws. But now, I, uh, but the same underlying principle of being holy, of being looking different, um, of being belonging to God, even in whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, do all to the glory of God, uh, that still applies. Uh, and so we could think of other issues, not bacon, where um, we look distinct. Um, I mean, there are just certain things in our daily life that we're not going to do, that the world is going to readily do because we belong to God. Uh, and so that's the kind of the underlying principle um, that helps us, even if we read through those food laws, is like, okay, now I can, I can see how this translates. But it takes a little bit of work and thinking to do that. Does that help? Yeah, you bet. Uh, other questions on law as far as general principles before we try to do some practice with it? All right, so turn to Exodus. Okay, so we're kind of... Turn to Exodus 12. Now, Exodus 12 is kind of... It's even before the the official like giving and cutting of the the Israelite covenant at Sinai. Sinai is not till chapter 19 and 20 and so on and so forth. But already um, you start to get things in Exodus uh, that become stipulations later for the covenant. And what we're looking at in Exodus 12 is the Passover. Okay, so. Uh, we're not going to go through the whole chapter, which is basically all, all about the Passover. But just from your memory and from reading of the scriptures, what is the Passover all about? Coming out of Egypt, uh, develop that a little bit more. Yeah, so they're in bondage, they're enslaved. Because of the Abrahamic covenant, God hears the cries of his people and he rescues them. Okay, And this is the culmination of that. Because what is the Passover tied with? Yes, but like what specific elements? What happens at Passover? Yeah, the lamb. There's a lamb that slaughtered. What are you supposed to do with the lamb? Yeah, paint the blood over your doorposts. Why? The, yeah, the angel of death um, will pass over because what is the angel of death doing? Killing the firstborn, right? So... Uh, and he's doing it for, he would do it for Egypt and Israel unless you had blood over your doorway, okay? 
but this is the culminating event where uh, Pharaoh gives in, right? Uh, it says there's not a house that someone wasn't dead in Egypt. Um, and it, it pushes Pharaoh over the edge and say, okay, get out. You're going to leave, okay? And so then God talks about, and I'm, I'm going to, we're going to look at 43 through 49 specifically, but I'm just trying to give you the broader context of all that's happening. So um, God sa- um, says, it gives stipulations. Here's how you do this. You have the, not only the Passover, but then the Feast of Unleavened Bread for a week. Um, you're not supposed to have leaven in your house uh, and all of that. And so then it happens. So the text records um, the first Passover and talks about the firstborn dying. Uh, but then all of this is kind of set in this context of you're going to keep doing this. You're going to keep a feast. You're going to keep a remembrance uh, because you're going to remember what God did in rescuing you. Okay. So that basically brings us up to... Uh, so, so we get the record of the events that happened as far as them leaving Egypt. And then in 43 through 49, we get some more indications of how are you going to work on this? How are you going to celebrate this? And this is going to become part of the covenant uh, going forward. Okay, someone go ahead and read Exodus 12, 43 through 49. All right, so observation time. Uh, I've kind of painted some of the general context for you just to remember that, but um, what do you see and what questions do you have? Remember, that's what we do in observation. We, ask, we note facts and we ask questions, questions that hopefully will help us uncover the author's intent of um, the text. So what do you see? Okay, they must be circumcised. Why... And a question to go along with that would be why. Uh, we're not going to answer that right now, but um, they need to be circumcised. Who needs to be circumcised? Yeah, so you've got, like, the people of Israel. But then there's also this, this thing about the foreigners, too, right? That you got someone who, uh, in general, a foreigner can't eat of it, but you've got someone that's sojourning among you. And you remember when they left, there was actually not just Israelites, but even Egyptians that came along with. And uh, they said, well, if they want to eat, if there's someone that wants to sojourn among you, they got to be circumcised too. But then the corresponding question is why? So just keep, shelve that, keep that in your mind, right? Because uh, we don't want to answer our questions yet. We do want to answer them, but we want to uh, just generate, uh, generate observations and questions. What else?
Okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, very specific. And even the stipulation, you shall not break of its bones. And again, we would have questions about that. Well, why is that? What's the deal? <clears throat> okay, good question. Good. What else? Mm. Yeah, uh, that's interesting, isn't it? Not only is the law, um, the Torah, the, the instruction for the native, for the Israelite, but for the stranger who sojourns among you. So this idea of like a non-Israelite being amongst the people, uh, but then, um, you know, he's, he gets to come under the law too. Uh, and the question is, well, is that before he's circumcised? Is it after? How does that interrelate? You know, what, or is it just you're amongst the people, so you're kind of under this umbrella anyway? So that's, that's um, some other questions that would go along with it. Yeah, yeah good, good observation. What else? Okay, which verse? Yeah, 47. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. So this is something everyone is supposed to do. Um, uh, you're no exceptions. Okay, what else? What's uh, say that one more time? Uh huh. Yeah. You kind of imagine so, although I can't. I don't know if there's like a specific declaration that that happened, but. I've just got uh, the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston in my head. Because <laughs> that happens in that, in that movie. <laughs> okay, what else? Yeah, which is kind of a, a tension, right? Because it says no foreigner eats of it. And then later he talks about some stranger who's sojourning among you. Um, so is that different? How is that different? Do we have two categories here? Do we have a before and after, like someone who's an outsider and then decides to sojourn? Like is, you know, so there's there's that kind of a question that goes along with, yeah, Tony. Yeah. It's interesting that even the slaves are mentioned, right? Like, uh, so you buy a slave, um, like a non-Israelite slave, and you bring him in. Like, he's supposed to get circumcised so that he can partake in it, too. Um, because, yeah. Yeah, the household, exactly, right? Because at least at this stage, well, I mean, it's, it's true later on, too. But uh, the, the sacrifice of the Passover is for each household. So you go household by household. Um, and that's clear from what's said before this. Um, household by household, you have a lamb for each household. 
And if you have, like, if you're, it says earlier, like, if you're too small to have a lamb, you join with your neighbor, and you form a household and eat the lamb together. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, Ned. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sojourns, which is an idea you're, you're kind of a, I mean, we would think of it as like someone coming from Canada who's still a Canadian citizen, but they decide to sojourn among the U.S. for a while. Um, you know, that kind of a thing. I mean, it's sort of that idea um, happening then. Yeah. What else? It's interesting how it's framed because it seems like eating the Passover is a desirable thing, right? Like, you want to do this, um, you know, whether you're, you should want to do it as an Israelite, but even for the foreigner or the sojourner, uh, it seems like there's even a, like, hey, I want to keep it. Uh, well, you can as long as this happens, you know. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 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 And now maybe let's let's start transitioning a little bit into interpretation, because maybe that's a good hinge, right? So um, we understand. We've talked about how God is rescuing Israel, and like as they obey the law, God's going to bless them, and they're supposed to be kind of attracting nations to come to them, right? And so we even kind of start to see, even in this, see this dynamic where maybe someone comes as a foreigner or sojourns, and they're like, hey, I want to keep the Passover. Now, why let's, Why in the world would someone want, want to, right, the desirability? Why would someone want to keep the Passover? Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, he's becoming as one of the natives. Circumcision is this transition from becoming a foreigner to becoming a native. And God's very explicit. You treat him like no difference. He's an Israelite, effectively. By um, Right. So what's the deal with, yeah, what is the deal with circumcision that does that? What's now, some of you already know this because either you've been on Friday night or you've heard me mention it before, but uh, what is circumcision such a big deal about? Yeah, right. It's the sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham, right? So you go back to Genesis 17, and he says, you don't, you don't, you don't take this sign, you're cut off from your people. Um, you're as a foreigner. Right? Uh, it's the mark of whether you're inside or whether you're outside the covenant community, as far as Israel is concerned. Um, so that's why you come here, and um, he's saying, hey, you got to be circumcised. So we put, tie all this together, right? Like, we see God is do, working with this people. He's working with this people, and um, someone says, yeah, God's among you. I want to be 
I want to be part of this. I want to celebrate along with you. Well, okay, that's fine as long as you, you know, take the covenant sign on yourself. Uh, and by, at, once you do that, you're effectively an Israelite, whether you once were an Egyptian or, you know, some other nationality or whatever, okay? Um, what else? So as we, we're trying to pull this together, what's, what's, oh, Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But something also that I think is really key here is it shall be as a nation, or he shall be as a nation of the land. Mm-hmm. That is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where are you going? You're going back to the land. And that, that, that does link back to the Abrahamic covenant because the three components are land, like a specific land where they're going to, where God wants them to dwell with him in God's presence, uh, seed, like a lot of um, children and even one particular seed that is identified with the Genesis 315 offspring of the woman who's going to crush that of the serpent and blessing, right, of uh, the ultimately what will become Edenic blessing, a return to the blessing of Eden. Um, but it's happening through this people, through Israel. Uh, and so that's why, um, you know, a stranger might want to partake. So essentially, uh, I mean, if we were to boil down this paragraph, what is God slash Moses's intent um, this paragraph? Boil it down to like one sentence. Yeah, set his people apart and specific to what in this paragraph? Yeah, it's circumcision and specifically this meal, the Passover, which commemorates God's rescue, right? So you want to be identified with this people and you want to be identified with this people as part of rescue, you go God's rescue of this people, then you got to here's what you got to do. You got to mark your, you got to take on yourself the sign of the covenant, come under that covenant um, to be part of this people. Does that make sense? Okay, what's the application? Oh, go ahead.
Yeah, that would be the ideal. Well, they should, right? That's the design of it, right? Remember, we go back to that idea that even in Israel, even though they're circumcised and they're part of the community and ostensibly they're connected with this God, that doesn't necessarily mean they are connected genuinely in a saving way by faith. But that's the ideal, right? That's the ideal that it's not just, oh, I'm joining a club, but I'm being connected with the saving God who has saved this people, who's working through this people in the world. That's where they should go. Uh, whether every individual person did that or not, that's a little bit, um, you know, another story. So, okay. So, kind of got a handle on this. What's the application? First, are we under either the Abrahamic or the Mosaic Covenant? No. <laughs> so, um, do these uh, laws directly apply <laughs> in a direct application? No. So now we're talking about principles, okay? Uh, principles as New Covenant Christians. So what, what, what's here that we, that we can take away? Yes. Sure. Yeah. So, and even the Old Testament talks about that, Deuteronomy 30, and in connection in Jeremiah with the New Covenant, right? Part of what's happening in the New Covenant is uh, you are, your heart is being circumcised. Now, that's, that's just... Uh, my view of that is that that's regeneration. That's a way of we're talking in the Old Testament about regeneration, a new heart, new nature. Now, there's regeneration in the Old Testament, and there's regeneration in the New Testament. So whether you're regenerate or not doesn't necessarily it doesn't 100% correlate with, with what the New Covenant's doing, right? There's regeneration before the New Covenant. There's regeneration after the New Covenant. The extent of the regeneration in the New Covenant is what's big, a big deal for Israel and Judah, right? The whole nation is supposed to have a regenerate heart, okay? So, um, yeah, if you're a believer, you have a circumcised um, heart, okay? Um, and then that should manifest itself as it did in the Old Testament. If you generally know God, it should manifest itself in an external way uh, for things. Yeah, Patricia. Okay. What else? Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay, let's try, let's try to draw even closer parallels. So you're getting some of them. Do we have something 
that's similar, that commemorates God's rescue of his people? Um, yes, it does. In fact, <laughs> sitting on the table right there, right? Uh, in fact, we can be, we're, we've got lots of evidence of that um, because if you think about communion, when does Jesus institute it? During the Passover. And that's no accident, right? Because one of the things that later, as you walk through Revelation, not the book of Revelation, you know, the scriptures, um, you see uh, the prophets right around the time when Israel's about to go into exile. Well, why are they going into exile? Because of their sin, because as a nation, they don't have a circumcised heart. That God says, well, I'm going to regather you like and in a bigger way than the first exodus because the first exodus is like that salvation or like it's a pretty big picture of redemption or it's the biggest picture of redemption in the old testament but then god says in the prophets say isaiah and jeremiah other places as well that i'm going to regather you in a big bigger way than the first exodus it's a second exodus and so then you see jesus launching that and launching the new covenant um right at passover and that's no accident because uh, even John, uh, the, you saw the, the stipulation here, not one of his bones will should be broken. John st- refers to that at the crucifixion uh, when, you know, the Romans are coming along, they're breaking the guys, the criminal's legs, and they come to Jesus, and they don't break him, they just pierce him, and it quotes this text. So there is a strong correlation between uh this old covenant text and new covenant realities happening okay all right so any other application then based on that correlation that we could draw What does Paul correlate with circumcision there? Baptism. That's our visible entry marker into the new covenant. I mean, that's not the only place that you can see it. You, you've got it in Matthew 28, right? Jesus says, make disciples. And how do you make disciples? By baptizing them. So we've got correlates with all of these things that are happening in the old covenant. Any other application we could draw from this? With that? Yeah, so what would the exclusion of the foreigner look like? Yeah, so, yeah, definitely, right? So you don't let an unsaved person take communion um, because you wouldn't, they're not inside the community, right? They're, and the, more than that, they not they don't know the Lord, right? Yeah. So definitely that. What else? Or be baptized, right? You need to be. You should be baptized before you take the Lord's Supper, because that's your entry marker into the new covenant community, 
Now, to you know Rachel's point from earlier, you can ha- you can be baptized, you can get wet in church, right? You can get wet in church and it not necessarily mean that you know the Lord. But if you are saved, you ought to be baptized, and only then ought you to take the Lord's Supper. Because what? It's displaying the community, the community of God's people. Yeah. Yes. So how, how do you interpret the sense of that sort of the Well, that's what it's supposed to happen, right? But you're, the, the idea is you're, you're buying the slave, you're bringing him into your household. And so he's He's under your household. He's part of the community of... The, just remember, covenants don't necessarily mean someone's saved. You can be part of a covenant and not be saved. So you're bringing him under that covenant, even though neither the Mosaic covenant directly nor the Abrahamic covenant directly is about salvation. It, it has a link to salvation, but it's not direct. Right. There's different real there's there's here's the reality when you transition from old covenant to new covenant. There's things that stay the same and there's things that change. So like for and part of that is the reality in the old covenant um, you could be part of the covenant and not know God. You could be part of the 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 covenant community like even a slave. You could be part of it and not know God. So you got that circle within a circle. But part of the reality of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 is, at least for Israel and Judah, uh, everyone who's part of this covenant knows God. And so that's one of the key distinctions between old and new covenant is everyone who's part of that covenant is supposed to know God. Yeah, Susan. Right. Right, and so uh, are you talking the analogy between, what analogy are you talking about? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and that's where you got to be. You, you, in this case, we have lots of New Testament evidence that connects us with this. So we're very safe in a lot of ways of drawing conclusions based on those connections. So Paul connects 
um, circumcision with baptism. Uh, he connects, I mean, Jesus connects the Passover with communion. So does Paul. Um, so we've got, uh, we've got a lot of the lines drawn, so to speak. And so we can draw the, the appropriate conclusion and carry those things over. So you're right, you've got to be careful. With any analogy you draw, you've got to be very careful uh, because we are, this isn't, we're, we're taking, the application for them was different, and we are saying, okay, what's the principles? I mean, because it's very clear here, what, is, what, is, what part of God's character, or at least God's character in dealings with his people is, is, is explicated. He values uh, having a distinct, definable, visible people. He values that. That's very clear from this text. And so now you're trying to think, okay, well, what does that look like for New Covenant people? What does that look like? What practices does that have for us? Um, and what you're trying to base it off of is God's eternal moral character. God hasn't changed. He still values a distinct, definable, visible people. So what does that now look like, even though some of the, applica- the, you know, the, the specific applications and practices have changed? Um, but this is a good text for that because you see, all right, we've got something that's uh, Old Testament, and yet we can, even through what we see in the New Testament, we can draw connections um, and we can then draw conclusions based off the principles. So, yeah. Anything else before we, yeah, David? Yeah, so even in the Old Testament, um, because circumcision of heart, that language is in Deuteronomy. And basic, what's that? Yeah, and there's, a, I think, uh, Deuteronomy 10, uh, where uh, Moses, I want to say it's 10, where Moses is like, uh, circumcise your hearts. And, uh, and what he's doing is he's pointing out, here's the fundamental issue. Not just whether you're circumcised on the outside, it's whether you're circumcised on the inside, right? Same thing in Deuteronomy 30. That's the issue. So even though you have this external sign of being an Israelite of circumcision, well, that doesn't mean your heart's regenerated, right? The ideal is that the external sign points to the internal reality of, uh, of what should be happening, right? The ideal of what should be happening, um, so, um, does that answer your question? Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't use the word seal. I, I, I mean, I think people use that language of, um, you know, it being a, circumcision being a sign and seal of faith. Uh, I, don't, I, don't think that, I don't think that language is helpful. But it's the idea that if you're in the covenant, the ideal is that you know God. How do you know God? By your heart being changed, by your heart being regenerated, uh, so that you can know God. Uh, so the ideal scenario is that you know God, your heart has been circumcised, and then, you know, that's matched with the external sign. And the same would be true with us, right? That um, someone gets baptized, well, you can get wet in church, doesn't necessarily mean anything, right? But it's that you know God, um, and then you take on yourself the external sign. Um, the sign itself doesn't do anything except point you to the covenant and to what should be happening in your relationship with God. Knowing God is the, that what should happen, right? That's the 
that's the goal of humanity, <laughs> to know God um, in a true, uh, you know, not know him as an enemy, but to know him as a friend, uh, to know him as your God, as your Lord, as your master joyfully, right? But that's, that's, that's what the goal of humanity is, to know God. Um, I wouldn't call it a seal. Um, that describes something else, but it is, it is what we are seeking. Yeah. Yes, in the sense of the Holy Spirit sealing us for the day of, day of redemption. Uh, um, so it uses that. But knowing God happens uh, before, in that case, Paul is talking about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, which is a new covenant reality that displays that you know God. So they're intertwined, uh, no doubt. Uh, we just want to be clear in our ideas. So, Okay, let's, let's call it there. Uh, next week, Lord willing, we will talk about prophecy and just give a little bit of, like, how do we deal with prophecy? And then that's the last thing we're going to do, and then we're going to switch gears to a new topic a couple weeks or so. Uh, we'll talk about the attributes of God. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the rescue that you have given us through Christ. Um, that uh, we were foreigners, we're Gentiles. Uh, we don't deserve um, to be part of um, your people, and yet um, in how you're primarily working right now until Israel repents, you are saving Gentiles from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, and you are part bringing them into your people. Um, Lord, we thank you for this morning as we get to celebrate our Passover meal, the Passover of the second exodus, uh, in, uh, in communion. So we just thank you for that. We praise you for that reality. Prepare our hearts for that and help us to do it with joy. Um, thank you uh, for this morning. Thank you for your law. Help us to be able to learn from it and to apply it rightly. Pray these things in your name. Amen.